Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 3rd. We begin with a look at this week's edition of the West Block. We catch up with guest host David Aiken, chief political correspondent for Global News. David brings us the latest on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, specifically whether Russia should continue to hold membership in organizations like the UN Security Council and the G20. Next, we examine the views of Canadian taxpayers on some of the newly implemented and proposed programs put forth by the Liberal government. We speak with Jake Fuss from the Fraser Institute for details on a new poll which indicates support for a handful of the programs has plummeted. May is Melanoma and Skin Cancer Awareness Month. We hear from dermatologist Dr. Julia Carroll for some tips on early detection and what you need to know. And finally, playoff hockey is back in Calgary. We get a sneak peek of the festivities surrounding tonight's game down at the Red Lot at Stampede Park. We catch up with Global News reporter Sarah Offen. Russia has accepted an invitation to the upcoming G20 summit in Indonesia, but should the country be removed from international bodies like the UN Security Council and the G20? Joining us to discuss on the latest episode of the West Block is guest host uh, and Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning to you, David. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. We appreciate it. Uh, on the program, you spoke with retired American General Philip Breedlove on the West Block. What are his views on Russia's involvement on a national stage like the G20 summit? Does he think they should be taking part? Uh, no. Uh, and and Breedlove, uh, he's not just a retired U.S. general. I mean, he is that, a four-star general. But he also served for three years as uh, NATO's supreme allied commander. So he was the top military guy at, in NATO, in Europe. Obviously, as a result, studied the Russians, understands the Russians. And he made the point in the program what he called, um, I think he refers to it uh, as his sort of dime initiative. I hope I get these right. D-I-M-E stands for uh, Diplomacy, Information, uh, Military, and oh, I'm going to forget the rest. It might be education. Anyways, at, at that dime approach to the Russians is what he advocates. And that D that stands for the diplomatic offensive, that's where he says the West can still do more. Um, obviously, we're supplying Ukraine with military aid. We're supplying them with humanitarian aid. We are engaging in uh, intelligence sharing with Ukrainian armed forces, which is being very helpful. But on the diplomatic front, Breedlove says, let's, let's see what else we can do. And his line was, we should essentially do what we can to remove Move Russia from the world stage. That's what he said on the program. And that would include, yes, saying, thanks, you're not in the G20 anymore. You're not in the, the group of 20. Uh, the G20 is the, the world's 20 largest economies. It's an organization that Canada and former Prime Minister Paul Martin had a big role in um, in essentially creating. Uh, it really came out of the fiscal crisis of 08-09. Martin helped create Harper. Prime Minister Stephen Harper was part of the group that, um, that really made that grouping a success. And Russia, as a country with one of the 20 largest economies, was part of it. Um, but now there's a feeling that uh, Russia has uh, essentially disqualified itself from being at that that table. In addition to the G20, what about the United Nations Security Council? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the, the dysfunction at the UNSC has just been highlighted by the fact that Russia has a veto. And, of course, Russia has a veto, as many historians of that 
uh, organization will know because it grew out of the Second World War. It really was a creation of, you know, Joseph Stalin, uh, Harry Truman in the U.S. and uh, and the U.K. at the time. They, they're the ones as the sort of the three major powers standing at the end of World War II who created this thing, and they all gave themselves a, a veto. It's absurd, many say, that Germany and Japan in the current environment don't have a veto. Two large economies uh, that, uh, you know, there's, there's, people say it's time for the Security Council to reform itself. Can it be done? Might be difficult, but someone ought to give it a try. And by the way, that is a viewpoint that our current ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray, has said before, that it's absurd that Russia has a veto with the Security Council. So G20, Security Council, and other fora, international fora, where Russia um, has a seat, uh, it's time for them to go. Well, I mean, you would think, and it, you, it would also, I would think, be the ultimate slap in the face to Putin to have Russia be removed from the G20, from the UN Security Council. And and how can we not, as a, as a global citizenry, not think about removing them from any kind of powerful position in those organizations? It's just, it's kind of mind-blowing that it's not being pushed a little harder, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it is something difficult to do. And Russia, I, I wouldn't say Russia still has some friends, but it has some international, there are some countries internationally that are not yet ready to endorse the cutting of those ties. And I'm thinking here chiefly India and China. Uh, India is particularly frustrating, of course, it's the world's largest democracy in terms of population. And India has, has uh, abstained at the United Nations so far in any votes that would be uh, censoring uh, uh, Russia, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, India still likes to sell lots of things to Russia, and it likes to still buy things from Russia. So I, that is one of the issues. Again, that's the diplomatic work that that has to happen. And um, uh, certainly members of the G7, um, they will be pressuring India to sort of come over to the west side. Um, there was news out this week that when the G7 meets in Germany in, uh, I think it's next month, in June, um, and of course Canada is part of this group, the G7, the, the Indian Prime Minister Modi has been invited uh, to meet with the G7, and I'm sure there he's going to get the full court press to um, see the world through the G7's eyes, which means taking a firmer stance against Russia. So that work is being done. It, it takes time, and it takes a lot of arm twisting. It can't be done that quickly. But the move is underway to, again, disconnect Russia from, you know, everything from the G20 to, you know, international Olympic committees, you name it. Russia, people don't want Russia around. Mm -hmm. Speaking with David Aiken, uh, Global's chief political correspondent and host this week of the West Block. Further to your conversation with retired American General Philip Breedlove, what did he say he believes the current state of the Russian military is in now three months into this uh, invasion? Well, like a lot of uh, professional uh, military folks in the West, they've watched uh, Russia's invasion and have been surprised at the incompetence, essentially, uh, of the Russian military um, in terms of uh, battle formation, how it conducts its operations. It, it doesn't seem to be able to coordinate what is a very complex operation coordinate between uh, land forces, uh, air forces, uh, naval forces, cyber forces. So, so Breedlove, like a lot of uh, a lot of professional military uh, types, is uh, not been impressed with the way uh, Russia has gone about things. And now, of course, uh, I think Russia sort of understands that, and so they know that the only advantage, the true advantage they have, is the sheer weight 
of their military, the sheer number of munitions they have that they can throw at the Ukrainians. And so that's why they're, they're indiscriminately shelling civilian areas, trying to destroy whole cities, um, in the belief that that is the way for them to achieve whatever military objectives they'd like, because they failed to achieve them through the smart deployment of um, of military forces. And the flip side of that is, uh, you know, as, as many have, have, have said, Breedlove didn't get into this so much, but lots of military types have said, the West may be learning things from the Ukrainian armed forces, who've very smartly deployed drones, have different techniques for anti-tank fighting. Um, they've used Western equipment, but they're developing their own techniques for it. And so when this is all over, and let's hope it's over soon, you may see the Ukrainian armed forces teaching Canadian armed forces members about the techniques they successfully used on the battlefield uh, against the Russians. Thank you so much for the update this morning, David. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. No problem, guys. Cheers. Thank you very much. David Aiken is Global's chief political correspondent. He's been filling in for Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block. By the way, the West Block re-airs here on 770 CHQR every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. A new Leger poll commissioned by the Fraser Institute finds support for government programs like pharmacare, dental care, and $10 a day daycare is plummeting. With details on the findings, we're joined this morning by Jake Fuss, senior economist with the Fraser Institute. Hi, Jake. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's talk about the poll and the findings. I mean, these are all great programs. Why is support on the decline? Yeah, well, in the latest budget, the federal government committed to several new programs like dental care, pharmacare, and $10 a day daycare. Um, but in the poll um, that we had from Leger, it surveyed Canadians and found that while a large majority of Canadians support these programs when there is no transparent cost attached, um, when Canadians are asked if they still support these programs, if taxes were raised to pay for them, if, for instance, support plummets to the point where really only 4 in 10 Canadians still support these programs. Um, so it's really that cost implication in particular that causes that support to plummet. So we say, you know, the cost, we, we no, no transparency. Do we have a ballpark figure on what this would cost Canadians, some of these programs, Jake? Yeah, so these are not small spending commitments. Uh, the National Daycare Program alone is estimated to cost about $8 billion annually by 2025. Uh, National Dental Care is estimated to cost about $2 billion annually um, when we fully implement that program. Um, and there hasn't really been a cost estimate for the new National Pharmacare Program yet. Um, but the budget is committed to passing legislation by the end of 2023, and some estimates have been uh, as high as $15 billion, for instance. Does it seem, Jake, that just, you know, as we've headed through the pandemic and there have been so many programs that were necessary to help Canadians, and now we're sort of realizing, you know, how much money has been at play that maybe we just can't afford this as a country or any of these programs? Yeah, well, I think, you know, a lot of these programs now, we're kind of moving away from the temporary COVID relief programs, um, moving into more kind of permanent programs that are causing the size of government to increase further. Um, so, you know, what we're seeing, for instance, um, you know, in the poll, we found that 69% of Canadians supported $10 a day daycare when there's no cost attached, but that support is dropping to 36% if the program is paid for by an increase in the GST. Um, so this would be a new permanent program moving forward. Um, it's not an, a temporary program that really has anything to do with COVID, for instance. Jake, this change in stance, could part of it be the fact that a lot of us have had a, a tough time and now we're getting out the back edge of the pandemic and we realize maybe the financial damage and the situations that we're in as Canadians? So I guess what I'm getting at is on paper, it sounds like a good idea. But now that we look at our wallets in 2022, not such a good idea. 
Well, certainly. I mean, the, right now the federal government is running deficits and borrowing money to pay for new programs that it's currently introducing. Um, so, you know, sometimes that can give the illusion that these programs don't really come with significant costs because the bill is not necessarily due today. Um, but what we do know is, you know, the borrowing that we've done during COVID, particularly during 2020 and 2021, and now moving forward, uh, anytime you borrow money, that means taxes will have to increase in the future. And as people are feeling the, feeling the pinch right now with their finances, um, you know, it's important for Canadians and taxpayers to understand the cost of these programs. Um, even if the full cost isn't born today, um, it's going to add, you know, to the actual, um, you know, budget of Canadian families moving forward. It's an interesting study for sure. It'll get people talking. Thank you so much for joining us, Jake. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute, at Fraser Institute, if you want more information. I think they're all valid and, and wonderful programs. I just think, you know, you're right, as we come out of the pandemic and and the billions of dollars spent to help Canadians through this. And what were we going to do? We had to spend that money. Yeah, and but now looking and saying you know, wow, what, what kind of a legacy are we going to have now moving forward for us, for our kids, for our grandkids with the amount of money that's being spent? And and I, I don't know what the answer is because I wouldn't want to have to be the one to decide. Hey, and listen, I understand, you know, Jake Fuss is a senior economist with the Fraser Institute and the Leger Poll. These are pollsters. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to look at these things, uh, but I don't think anybody be aghast to see the headline that uh, says Canadians upset with paying more taxes. Canadians sick of being taxes. I don't have the stats in front of me, but our taxation rate is a lot higher than a lot of different places around the globe. On the other side, we have so many services. Talk to somebody who gets out of the hospital in the States who broke their arm and it cost them $4,000 out of pocket, mm-hmm. for example. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things we're always going to complain about it, but you have to look at the quality of life. And, you know, if, if you have two kids... And I know well, we might get those texts. Why don't are you have, having so many kids? Don't procreate. If you happen to have two children, uh, um, your daycare costs, if both parents want to work, and it is 2022, both parents have the right to work. And I would argue with some of the home prices we're seeing and the cost of living, uh, both parents perhaps have to work or at least take on some mm-hmm. form of labor. It's probably on average before, and I, I was in this world, uh, 24 to $2,600 a month for childcare. It That's is, a fact. It is outrageous. I have a friend with twins who's, you know, thinking of going back to work. Well, now you've got, you know, there's two right off the the hop. You've got right off. Yeah, I mean, this texter agrees. The poll's not a big surprise. People are finally cluing into the extra taxes needed for all of these wants, and they are wants, and they are very important programs. I mean, the, you know, the national dental care. We have so many dental issues with young kids these days that we know translates into big problems through our health health system for yeah. forevermore and pharmacare is an issue i mean they're all valid important programs it's just paying for them we we really like our pediatric dentist and i, I maybe tell you this story because i can complain about money as good as the next person maybe <laughs> maybe at the yeah, olympics you can, Schultz-y. and so we go in there and it's a regular checkup however there needs to be some scraping down on, on my, one of my child's teeth uh, teeths there you go <laughs> on one of her one of her teeth and so needed some pain medication so they have like this concoction. They're not going to give you the needle to a four or five-year-old. So they give you like in a kind of a, a sippy cup, like you take a NyQuil. Right. And they mix something up. It looked like a, it looked like a NyQuil type. And it, it just kind of calmed her down. Mm-hmm. And it was safe. And I have all the assurances. and Great. And then when I left, it was an extra $125 on my bill oh. for that medication to ease the pain in a child when they can't take the needle into their gums. Right. I was unaware of that. 
but this is a medical, this is not a luxury item. Mm -hmm. My child is getting dental work done and it wasn't covered. And it makes me think, and they talk a lot about how it's attached. Your overall dental health is attached to your overall physical health. A hundred percent it is. And and down the line, what will this cost you? What about the pain to the system? It's interesting. Melanoma and skin cancers are one of the few cancers on the rise in Canada. In fact, one in 42 men and one in 56 women is expected to develop melanoma during their lifetime. With insight on what to watch for and tips to prevent skin cancer, we are joined by Dr. Julia Carroll, dermatologist and Melanoma Canada board member. Good morning to you, Dr. Carroll. Good morning. Thanks for having us to talk about this important issue. Thanks for being here. Uh, May is Skin Cancer and Melanoma Awareness Month. So what should people be looking for? How do we, you know, uh, take that first step? Because for a lot of us, it's, it's new territory. Right. So, you know, when you're looking to diagnose a melanoma, the, the, you know, or check yourself to make sure you don't have melanomas, the first way we always start is by recommending that people do a self-exam once a month. So I always say it's great to do it uh, on the same day as your birthday. So my birthday is on the 3rd of September. So on the 3rd of every month, I check my skin front and back. And um, if you go to our website, uh, melanoma.ca, then there's a great video that explains exactly how to do one of those self-checks and what you're looking for in terms of changing moles. Now, when you're doing self-checks, will that catch most things, do you think, doctor? Or or should we be going to a dermatologist? Because I I find it a little bit clunky to have to call my family doctor, go in to make an appointment, see my family doctor who's going to refer me to a dermatologist. I just wish we were able to make a direct appointment with a dermatologist in this country. I know. That is the Canadian system. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. You know, free doesn't always always come easy, but... um, uh, so, you know, we do know statistically that uh, self-checks will pick up 85% of melanoma. So we know that 85% of melanomas are found by patients or perhaps family members of patients. So it's a good start. It's also just a great way to get to know your skin. If you're checking yourself every month, then you're going to notice when things change. But then, yes, if you do notice that something has changed, then you want to go in to see your family doctor, and then they can send you on to a dermatologist if they're concerned. And, of course, if you have a personal or family history of skin cancer, if you have certain risk factors, then you may be someone um, that we do set up with regular skin checks. Dr. Carroll, we have awareness, uh, you know, for example, uh, like right now we're talking about it, and it's been more in the in the forefront in media. We have, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, what am I looking for? Skin uh, uh, sun protection. Sun protection. We yeah. That, that's sometimes on a Tuesday morning. Uh, so we have we have this stuff in place. So it's shocking. We gave you that stat that it's on the rise. Why is it on the rise for Canadians between fifteen and forty nine years old? Well, it all comes down to sun exposure. So we know that. Um, you know, approximately 90% of uh, melanomas do come from sun exposure. So it relates back to that. So, you know, we can talk about early detection, which is what we just talked about, but we also want to focus on prevention. So when we look at prevention, we talk about the three ways to block the rays. The first one is just to apply every day an SPF of 50 plus uh, when you're going outside. I put on sunscreen every day, no matter what the weather, and even in the dead of winter. Uh, The second way is to cover up. So look for clothing that has um, ultraviolet protection factor that protects you from UVA and UVB rays. Wear a broad-rimmed hat, uh, sunglasses. And then the third thing is just to seek shade at the peak UV hours. So in Canada, that's between 11 and 3 from March to October. 
So it's just a matter of planning out your family activities. If you're going to go out for a picnic, either plan to bring an umbrella, sit under a tree, or even plan to maybe go for more of a late afternoon snack. I think we're smarter than we've ever been about the sun, but there's still lots of work to be done for sure. It will send people to melanomacanada.ca to get more information. And we thank you for bringing this to our attention. Doctor, appreciate your time today. Thanks and be sun safe. For sure. Dr. Julia Carroll, Melanoma Canada board member and dermatologist. The puck drops on round one tonight of the NHL playoffs. Calgary edition versus those pesky Dallas stars. Sarah often joins us now with details on all the festivities for tonight's game ahead of the actual hockey matchup. Good morning to you, Sarah. Sarah often? Can you hear us now? Sarah often? Can you hear Come us in, now? Sarah often. Sarah often? Yeah. Sarah can often? you hear me now? We not sure if you can hear us. Are you already partying down there? <laughs> yeah, it's the pesky park. Bluetooth. Well, you know, you got to get things started early. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Anywhere Sarah goes, there's a party. Well, she well, you know, and she likes to be there early. She's not late for the party, so you're there. A few, tell us how early you are and what you're seeing. Is it called the Red Lot? Yeah, this is the Red Lot. So I showed up here around five a.m. this morning, <laughs> and the security guy has been keeping his eye on me so that I, I don't breach the gates um, to actually go into the red lot. So I'm standing on the sidelines, but I can see sort of what the setup is inside. They've got sort of patio tables that are set up. They've got, as you may expect, the beer gardens, lots of porta-potties because we know that those will be needed too. There's a stage. Um, We're hearing that there's going to be some Flames alumni. There's going to be some giveaways. And then, of course, there is the big screen, and that's where all of the action is going to be happening. We'll watch the the Flames uh, as the puck drops at 8 p.m., but we'll also be watching uh, earlier games, of course, this is going to open up to fans starting at 5 p.m. So they can watch some of the other playoff hockey ahead of the Flames actually um, getting on the ice, but uh, expect it to be a good crowd here tonight. Just how big is that big screen, Sarah? It's, oh man, I don't huge? know math. Yeah, like, it's big. It's big. It's Giant. like, it's it's taller than me, I'll say that. It's a few of me. And you're like six you're foot. You're seven foot. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm huge, so, yeah. <laughs> but this, this, and I've got my Flames jersey on today. Yeah, no, though, I mean, there's there's a lot of people in our city that uh, are pretty excited about this. And, of course, we know they're not only going to be here, um, the fans uh, here at the Red Lot, but also down along 17th Avenue. So there's lots of preps that are underway in our city right now. We were talking uh, earlier in the program, Sarah, of the importance and maybe... You know, how much more people might be amped up, not just the, the fact that it's, it's been a while and we have some real optimism on how the season's been going, but on the other side of the pandemic here, like people want to unify, they want to gather, and this is, even if you're not a huge hockey fan, a reason to do such a thing, isn't it? Well, we're hoping so. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to hear more from the Calgary police um, later on today. They're also, I think, including a briefing for media just to, to talk about how to deal with perhaps unruly fans that might be there. But, I mean, that's the hope that we can all come together at least over hockey. And so... Um, Calgary Police, of course, are, are putting up a, a bit of a, a security plan, what they're going to do to, to make sure that this all goes off safely. In the meantime, I can tell you there's going to be a parking ban that's in place for um, home games. They are still going to be opening 17th Avenue um, to street traffic for now. Of course, uh, later on, they will most likely close it down as they have done in the past. But for now, they're asking people to stay off the roadways. They can expect to see more people uh, down along 17th avenue more police officers down along 17th avenue business liaison officers helping businesses along the red mile 
And uh, also police will be reminding people that alcohol is only allowed inside licensed establishments and that cannabis is not to be consumed on the streets. I think it's going to be super fun. Uh, I think Calgary is ready for a bit of a party. We know transit is going to uh, beef up their buses, their trains, etc. So that will help people get to and from the red lot. Well, I'm glad you've you've staked your claim on your spot, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, let's see. I feel like I could get in there. I'm I'm sort of watching for the security. He's got to hit one of those porta potties soon. Right? Eventually, right? <laughs> Breach that gate, Sarah. Breach that gate. Thanks for right. joining us. Appreciate it. That is uh, Global News reporter Sarah Off. And I have a little fun fact for you here, Andy. Let me just find it. Calgary Flames have just the second woman in history and the only Canadian woman to have her name engraved on the Stanley Cup. Who's that? Sonia Scurfield. What? Who was co-owner of the Flames for nearly a decade from the 80s to the 90s. You and your fun facts. You're welcome. Time for the playoffs. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.